0: Now, if you weren't here last week, uh, this Loving Correction series has been birthed out of the Sutherland home. This is what the Lord is actually doing in us. This is not made up. We did not receive uh, information from a headquarters somewhere that said, you must preach on this. This is actually what we're doing. We're actually doing it in our home. My wife and I are getting up and we are studying these scriptures, some of these scriptures that we'll share with you tonight, because we want to make sure that we are pleasing our Father. Amen. Let's turn with me to Psalm 141 and verse 5. Psalm 141 and verse 5. Many of you could probably quote this, but we're going to go ahead and start off our evening tonight because uh, you might be like me and might be able to quote it better than you can live it. So let's, uh, we're going to actually try to get to it tonight. Amen. Psalm 141 verse 5. Are you there? Getting there. All right. Verse 5 says this, let a righteous man strike me. It is a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It is oil upon my head. My head will not refuse it. How many of you have heard that verse being here in this church? How many of you have used that verse here in this church? For either end of this, right? We've been studying this word in our house. We've been actually looking into it. Um, and let me have, I just have to be very, very honest with you as we begin. The reason that this verse is kind of a, a starter for us tonight is that I realize that uh, this church knows this verse and we can, most of us in the room can quote it. And if you can't, just hang out with us a little bit longer and soon you will be able to quote this verse. But I'm learning that we are actually refusing the righteous actions that are going on while we're quoting this verse. We're actually saying, I will not refuse it, pastor. I will not refuse it while we're refusing it. This is happening in my house, and I know because I've talked to you. This is happening elsewhere, too. So I'm going to help you tonight. Come on, somebody say thank you, Pastor. Thank you. I am going to help you tonight to let you really understand this word. See, we can't just uh, memorize the word. It's great. We love you for you to do that. But the idea of memorizing the word is that you're getting it in your heart and you're doing what the word says. Way back 100 years ago, I used to be a long, long time ago, I used to be a music teacher and teach people actually how to read music. And in class, somehow, over the course of time, the kids would think that reading the music was the most important part. The whole reason that I wanted to teach them to read music was to do what? Play the music so that they could produce a melodious, symphonic sound. The notes on the page weren't the main thing. It was the clue to unlock what they were actually supposed to do and produce in real life. Now, you can probably figure out where I'm going to go with that. These words, I want them to be more than just things that you can quote, that you can throw out quickly when a correction is coming your way. I want to share some things that I've learned about this verse with you tonight. Let a righteous man strike me. That word strike, I believe we have a Uh, a slide for you to to let you see. Let a righteous man strike me. I've chosen some of the words to help uh, elucidate a point to you, to help lighten a point to you so you can see it better. The word for strike here is halam. It's a verb meaning to smite, to hammer, (laughs) to strike down. One of the main things that I know as a pastor that I know just from my own experience and I know in the experience of my family Let a righteous man strike me. We could say it really, really well, but when a righteous man actually strikes you, when the righteous one actually strikes you, we want to make it less than the word strike. We want to make it encourage. We want to make it a word like correct us gently and lovingly. This word actually means exactly what it says. Let a righteous man strike me, hammer me, strike me down. Keep reading with me, if you would. It also carries the implication of conquering and disbanding. The author of Judges uses this word to describe Jael hammering the tent peg through Sisera's head. Now, if you would like to make that word softer than what the actual scripture says, then you have a problem. And I have a problem. We do not like the word. This is, this is not a euphemism here. It actually means to strike you, to hammer you with something, to walk up and like Jael did, driving a tent peg through Sisera's brain, killing him. Let a righteous man strike me. Do do you like this verse as much as you did before? Yeah, I mean, Pastor, I know. I mean, I was saying, let a righteous man strike me. But really what I was saying was like it was a metaphor. It was a metaphor of, of of a good word. Let, let him really tell me that I'm doing a good job. Let's do a sandwich, right? Let's do it. Tell me something I'm doing good. And then maybe a little bit of small correction and then something else that I'm doing good. No, it means to hammer you. Let the righteous one, let a righteous man, let righteous people strike me because it's something that I need. My goodness. Do you recoil at the hammer like correction that the Lord brings you? Okay, you've already fallen asleep. I've already lost him, Pastor. <laughs> I was over here, and I was having a good time, and I, I walked over here. Like two minutes later, I lost you. So so I'm going to ask you the question again. Do, does anyone in here recoil when God actually starts using a hammer on you? Yes. Because it hurts. <laughs> it is incredibly painful. Man, do you, don't don't we all really wish that correction would be more comfortable? I mean, we really do. Let the righteous, the righteous people, the righteous one, crush me. Let him strike me. Let him hammer me. Let him strike me down. Wow. How is this supposed to be considered a kindness? How do you know that you aren't receiving correction in the right manner? Some of the things that I just kind of jotted down for tonight as we're trying to get to the point where the Lord will, where we can actually start loving the fact that the Lord hammers us and corrects us. If you become immediately defensive, you are not loving correction. Somebody says something to you on the, on the job site. Hey, you need to stop doing that. I was only doing this because the words are still ringing in the atmosphere from the correction that you were given. In laser and lightning like fashion, you come and you begin to immediately refuse the correction that was given you. We immediately begin to take this pain to strike back. Come on now, the empire isn't the only thing that strikes back around here. You like that one? Okay. Don't you strike back? Somebody corrects you. What do you want to do immediately? Now, you might be, uh, might be mature enough to at least guise it, to put a little felt over the, over the hammerhead a little bit, just to try to soften it a little bit. But the truth is, is you're responding just like one of our children would do. You correct them? If you're going to come at me, I'm coming right back at you. What we really try to do is we begin the immediate process to disqualify the message or we disqualify the messenger. This is what we're going at tonight. We have a propensity as human beings to want to disqualify immediately the message. How do we do that? We say, well, technically that wasn't quite correct, Pastor. I mean, I know you're correcting me, but you've missed this little detail. You said that it took me three days to come to you, and it was actually only two days and 23 hours. So technically, you weren't correct, Pastor. When you begin to correct details... Especially the details that don't matter. You are hating correction in your life. You are immediately trying to disqualify the message or the messenger. In that case, you're trying to disqualify the message. Look, man, we love our pastors. We're so glad that you bring correction in our life. They, they just really didn't. I mean, they didn't bless their little hearts. They just didn't know the whole story. Bless their heart. We love them. I mean, you know, what can you do with them? You immediately try to disqualify the message. What does it look like to immediately try to disqualify the messenger? We love what you said, Pastor. Elder Bosch, man, we're, we, we thank you. We're going to receive that like oil upon our head. We're not going to refuse it. Of course, then we begin to immediately say that it was too harsh. I, I, I don't mind that, that, that Elder Bosch corrected me, but Golly, did he have to do it like that? Did he have to do it with such force? Did he have to be so cutting with his words? I almost wish that Baj would have yelled at me because his quiet demeanor, I leaned in and it just smacked me right in the face. Does he really have to do it that way? I mean, praise God for Elder Baj, of course, but let a righteous man strike me. Boy, this is, this is a difficult word for us to live with tonight. It's easy for us to quote. It's amazingly easy for us to quote. But it's difficult for us to live out, isn't it? Isn't it? Yes. Deuteronomy 5.29 says this. Oh, that their hearts would be inclined to fear me. You know what reminded me of this verse? I was writing, I was jotting notes to myself this afternoon, and my thought was. Oh, that I would learn how I cried out inside of myself when I was thinking through this about letting a righteous man strike me and not trying to disqualify the message or the messenger. And I went, oh, if I would just do this right. Deuteronomy 529 says, oh, that their hearts would be inclined to fear me and keep all my commands always. How are you supposed to keep all of his commands? Do we actually presume that we're going to get it right on the first try? You guys are going to have to help me tonight. I love you. And you are just looking at me. I can't, I don't quite know how to take you just looking at me. If you're thinking, then just wave me off. Just, okay, I'm thinking, Pastor. I think it's a good word. It's striking. It's striking. If you the problem is with correction is that we actually truly think that we're going to get it right every time and that's our goal. But instead of loving the correction that puts us back on the right path immediately, we fight the very thing that's supposed to help us to actually incline our hearts to fear him and keep all his commands always. Come on, study that on the Hebrew. It's all in all. <laughs> so that it might go well with you and your children forever. So if our hearts are supposed to be inclined, if we're supposed to follow his ways always, so that it will go well with us and our children forever, when we don't take the correction, we are not actually fearing him, we are not keeping his commands, and it does not go well with us or our children. Does it really hurt you that bad? Are we really that short-sighted? Well, the answer is yes, but are we really short-sighted enough to think that the momentary pain that we're suffering is worth derailing all of those things, as Deuteronomy 5 tells us? It can't be. We cannot do that. This church, I am so excited about what God is doing in our midst. I've never heard a sermon series like what Pastor Eric is doing on Sunday. If you're not here on Sundays, if you're not listening to it, outside of Sundays, shame on us all. Man, this is life-giving. Foundations on a Monday night is a whole nother level. Some of us who were nerds and went a, a, a reasonable distance in school, man, this is like grad school for Bible, for Bible class. This is getting your PhD on Monday nights. How could you not be there? Man, you, you really want to go after? Oh, that your hearts would be inclined to fear Him. Oh, that you and I would do everything that He says. I know that we're a church that is trying to do this. Many of us in here. But what the Lord is doing is He's requiring not just that we try, but that we do what we say we're going to try to do. He's actually requiring us to mature in our faith. He's not letting, but I really wanted to. I meant to do better. That may work for a little while. Our God is so gracious and compassionate. He will help us when we are weak. And what he is demanding of us as a church, what he's demanding of us as pastors, what he's demanding of our elders, what he is demanding of you is what? To mature. To grow up into the head that is Christ Jesus. This word tonight, along with every other word that you hear in this church, is designed to help us all grow up. Come on, somebody turn to your name and say grow up. Turn to that one you didn't want to talk to say, uh-huh, he means you too. Back to Psalm 141.5. Let a righteous man strike me. It is a kindness. If you could put up the next slide. This word for kindness is chesed. It is a loving kindness. It is the kind of loving kindness that God continually shows to us. It is a masculine noun indicating kindness, loving kindness, which is even better than kindness. Right? Mercy, goodness, faithfulness, love, acts of kindness. This is what it is when a righteous man hammers you. This is what it is when the righteous one hammers you by using the people around you to help refine you. Come on, we talked about it last week. Oh, I would never refuse the Lord's discipline and you refuse every single human being that ever comes and tries to bring you discipline. How is that not despising the very discipline of the Almighty? Well, we're going to we're going to drop all of our excuses. We're going to quit saying that we're doing things that we're not actually doing. Well, Pastor, I love correction. Mm-hmm. If you really do, I know that the Lord is going to give you opportunities to show that you love correction. Do you know how I know that? Because I'm getting to live that in my family and we are learning to love correction. It is a Kindness. When we begin to disqualify the message or the messenger, it is us showing us, it is showing that we don't realize that it is the very loving and kind hand of our God that is at work in our life. Come on now. Some, one person said that's good. You know why, you know why you can't say anything? Because you already, you thought you already knew that before I said it. You didn't have anything to disagree with me about that except that's not how we live. It is a kindness for us to be corrected. It is cruelty to leave someone in the state that they are that will penalize them and kill them and get them off the track and not let their hearts be inclined to fear Him. It is cruel to leave someone without correction. Come on, boy, that's an easy study, church. You're, you're, We are a family here tonight. Just look up how many times in the Proverbs. Look up how many times throughout the Scripture. To not discipline equals hatred. God loves us. He's got said for us. He's got loving kindness that he will work in it. Our problem, and one of the many reasons we don't love correction, is we don't actually see it as a kindness. We quote the verse, but in our heart of hearts, we do not see it as kindness. Our hearts are wrong. Our hearts are deceived. And they are deceitful to us. It is a kindness when someone strikes you. It is a kindness when God corrects you. And according to this passage, the harder the correction, the kinder the Lord is being to us. (laughs) See, again, we presume that there's something wrong with the person giving the correction. We disqualify them. What if it's that the Lord has been speaking to you so many times? What if he said it to you 10 times? Can he, can he be more firm this time? What if he said to you and corrected you in this area a 100 times? a 1,000 times? 10,000 times? Ta- How many times does he have to be nice before he needs to get your attention? We don't like the, bub- the, the little babbling brook of correction that he's bringing. And we get mad at him for bringing a flood water against us. How about we take The brook of correction. And we're so tender that it moves us. That it gets us that we understand that it is his kindness. God corrects us because he loves us. Correction in your life is because it is a kindness. A loving kindness. Merciful, good, faithful act of our loving God to us. What you should be doing now is evaluating your own heart. And seeing how many times in real life actually in your practice, in what you do, you don't consider correction a kindness. Don't quote Psalm 141 to me and not have been really examining your heart about whether you considered it a kindness. Not in your thoughts before correction, but in your heart during correction. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 3 and let's look at verse 7. Pastor Eric has a a phrase that I've heard him use for years, even before our family was blessed enough to be here at this church. Do you want to go a respectable distance in the eyes of your peers? Or do you actually want to do this thing right? Do you actually want to go all the way with what God has called you to do? God has got a significant calling on this church and on many of you in this room. If you don't love to learn correction now, you'll never get where God has for you to get. It's, it's so common, it's almost a cliche. People who are called anointed and followed by the wayside by the multitudes because they won't get corrected by God. The anointed prophet that can't submit himself in a church body. A sniper that will go out and pow, get you with the very words of God, but can't submit his own heart. The street evangelists going out, making sure that everyone sees their greatness. Come on now. We are are developing a church of people who are going to succeed in their calling because we're going to love correction enough to take it every time that it comes. It's good. It's right. It shows you how much of our flesh is actually there. Anybody remember back? For those of you, if you're married in this place, raise your hand. Remember back when you were single and you just thought, man, I'm, I'm pretty awesome. <laughs> no, that was just me. Okay, <laughs> man, I'm awesome. I got married and you know what I, I learned in the first year of my marriage? I am a selfish, selfish human being. I was like, wow, if it does not happen the exact way that I want it, it I get, I just throw a temper tantrum. I am a selfish human being. And then we, we worked for a couple of years. My wife was so sweet and wonderful and we, we were going through and we get, we start having kids. Man, Lord, this is a, this is a blessing from the heavens. My son Gabriel, this, this promised child that I will hold up in front of everyone. And you know what else we learned? We still were very, very selfish people. And if you don't believe that, Either your kids are too old for you to remember, or you hadn't had kids yet. When that little, beautiful, angelic child cries demonically for hours and hours and hours in the middle of the night. You know what those cries are? They're a form of God's correction in your life. He's actually working things out in you. And then we thought, well, look, we're married now. We've got one kid. We have got this selfishness thing beat. Then enters Olivia. Holy moly, how can we keep having more and more selfishness here? See, our problem is, is we, against all actual information, against all reality, we think that we're fine much quicker than we really are. When I was single, thought I had it. I mean, I thought I was a sacrificial human being. (laughs) Yeah, not even close to what I, what I learned when I, when we were first married. And then I thought I had it again. I wasn't smart enough to realize that I was wrong the first time and I might be wrong again. I was like, no, I got this. I'm money in the bank. Bam. Here comes the kid. Are you like me in this? Do you keep thinking that you're really, really doing well against all evidence to the contrary? When you are refusing correction, you are saying, no thanks, I got it. Look, I know that just 14 seconds ago, I was messed up. I know that 38 minutes ago, I was at an altar. But now, now I got it. That was then this is now, pastor. Don't hold my past against me. Can we even count that as the past? Can't, I'm not even sure how that counts as the past. That's just a distant present. I don't know what this is. Let's look at Hebrews 3, verse 7. So as the Holy Spirit says, today, everybody say today, Today means today. If you hear his voice. Do not harden your hearts. When you do not love correction, when you hate correction in your life, you are actually hardening your heart based on what the Lord has told you. There's no other explanation. Pastor, I was I had an insecurity. Oh, you mean you were full of fear? oh, okay, you mean that you were actually hardening your heart because of your own selfishness and pride and you couldn't receive the hammer that God was dropping on you. Do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the desert. You know, what my wife and my kids and I are about every day right now. God, help us not to harden our hearts. Because if you love us enough to speak to us, How dare I harden my heart about anything that you want to tell me? Anything good or bad, comfortable or uncomfortable. How dare I harden my heart? Come on, preach it. Get it, Daniel. Do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the desert. Where your fathers tested and tried me for 40 years. And for 40 years saw what I did. This is why I was angry with that generation. (laughs) God was angry with an entire generation of people. Why? Because they hardened their hearts and did not yield to the correction that God brought. That is why I was angry with that generation. There are some people in here who have the Terrible misconception. The unbiblical thought process that says if someone is angry, then it's automatically sinful. That is a wrong, non-biblical way to think. The Bible says and instructs us in Ephesians 4 that we are supposed to be angry and sin not. The problem is, is that we actually start charging God with error like it says in Job when we equate anger Now, you can correct me, but don't you dare do it with any emotion behind it. Don't you dare correct me and have any fire in your soul. Don't you dare correct me. I mean, I'll take the correction, but really, don't you dare disqualify the messenger because they actually have a fire. What if God is angry with you and they're supposed to, they're rightly reflecting how God feels about you in that moment? Now, see, we don't think about that. We go angry. He's out of control. Yes, he's angry. I can disregard everything he's saying because he's mad at me. I mean, I know none of us in here. That was too fiery. That was too harsh. Man, that that stung too much. That can't be from God. No, it absolutely can. It can be like a hammer hitting your soul. What a kindness. Verse 10, that is why I was angry with that generation. I said, their hearts are always going astray. Pastor, that was the Israelites way back in the day. That's clearly not us. Come on, folks. They have not known my ways. Verse 11, so I declared on oath. What kind of oath does God make? So I declared on oath in my anger. Um, You're not supposed to make an oath in anger. Apparently God can. See, if you think those kind of thoughts, you know what you're doing? You're trying to discredit the message and the messenger. You're trying to disqualify it. If we will just be honest with those disqualifying thoughts and crush them, I'm trying to make you aware of something that you've probably been doing and haven't even noticed it. I'm trying to be a loving pastor to you and show you blind spots that have actually been crippling you all the while while you're quoting Psalm 145 to us. Thank you, pastor. This is exactly, he declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. You know, if you, if you keep disregarding his correction long enough, he gets mad at you. And you do not get to finish us finishing our calling in this in this world, what he has given us to do, our purpose on this planet, it's mandated that we obey him. And you cannot obey him if you're not receiving correction from him. You're only going to obey the the instruction, but not the correction? (laughs) See, we don't think about stuff, do we? Nope, love correction. If you only can handle his instructions but never the correction, then you are prideful in saying, no, I will do it right every time. Oh, pastor, we know that. No, your actions are showing that you think that you don't need correction. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Come on, let's go back to Psalm 141.5. We're not quite done with this verse. Then we'll move on to some others. <clears throat> Let a righteous man hammer me, strike me. It is chesed. It is such a loving kindness that reflects God himself. Chapters like Psalm 136, I believe, are full of chesed, his loving kindness. His love endures forever. Sometimes the word chesed is translated as kindness, and sometimes it's translated as love. You know why? Because there's not really any difference. When God is using it, it is all of the above. Let a righteous man strike me. It is a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It is oil on my head. Let's put up the slide that says the word for rebuke. 3198. Yaka. A verb meaning to argue. To convince. To convict. To judge. To reprove. Who does he think he is to judge me? Who do they think they are? I mean, come on now. I've seen what you did. You're not perfect. How can you correct me like that? Because you don't have it all together. Disqualifying the message or the messenger is a sign of hatred toward God's correction. I'm going to keep saying it tonight because I want you to walk away and I want it to haunt you in your dreams. I do. I do. I want it to haunt you the next time. I want my voice to be ringing in your ears the next time you get corrected. And immediately, in a nanosecond, you pop out with something that will disqualify the message or the messenger. I want this night to go like an alarm bell that goes off in your soul. Who, who do they think they are to correct me? You think you got a perfect marriage? I've seen the way you talk to your wife. Oh. So you don't think that the Lord uses people to correct you. Oh, wow, you're really good at disqualifying the messenger. Wow, you're like a ninja cutting. Man, you could do that so well that you could walk away in two seconds and have already disqualified everything that the correction was about. Disregarded it all. And go on with your day as if you didn't need to be corrected. Come on now. We're not going to be people like that. That's not what we're going to do. Let a righteous man strike me. It is a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It is oil on my head. Oil is an anointing. (laughs) We want the anointing of God, don't we? man, we want his presence. We want his anointing. I like to come down and I like to hear good Peyton lead a great worship song. And, oh, I like to feel the the goosebumps of God's presence, the anointing that's it. Oh, Peyton, he's so anointed. Man, that brother, that brother's anointed. That's the kind of anointing that I like because it makes me feel good. This is another type of anointing that you need, maybe even more. The corrective anointing, the oil upon your head. Maybe our minds are all over the place. Maybe our thoughts can't be controlled because we don't ever let the oil of correction wash over us. My head will not refuse it. What happens when we disqualify that message or that messenger? The scandalon of offense is right there to trap you. Turn to Mark chapter six. Let me show this to you. Mark chapter six. Man, I love this church. Mark chapter six, and let's start in verse one. When you do not receive correction, you are prone to getting trapped in offense. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Man, can you imagine just hearing Jesus teach in your synagogue? The very word of God made manifest what, what would that have been like to just hear him speak and string scriptures together in the most beautiful of ways? For it to strike your soul like a hammer. For it to heal those broken spots inside of you. For him to quote scriptures that are the exact thought that you're having in that moment. God, incredible. Where did this man get these things? they asked. What's this wisdom that's been given to him? He even does miracles. Verse three. Isn't this the carpenter's son? The carpenter? Hey, yeah, you know, I think he is a carpenter. Isn't this Mary's son? Yeah, he might even have a brother, James and Joseph and Judas and Simon. Aren't his sisters here with us too? Yeah, they they just live right over there, right? They immediately, as he's teaching them, it had to have been correcting. They immediately start to disqualify Christ. It must have just been them back in the day, huh? The living, breathing word was incarnate before them and they started disqualifying the message. And then what does it say? And they took offense at him. Man, we had a, 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 a while back, we had a lot of dealing with offense in this church. The enemy was trying to tear us apart in every possible way by bringing up offense after offense after offense. You want to know how to safeguard yourself against offense? start loving correction. So easy to get offended if you're starting to disqualify the message and the messenger. They did this to Jesus, the Christ. This is incredible. I want to show you, let's turn to the book of Ezra chapter nine, Ezra chapter nine. Come on, church, let's make sure that we don't slip into offense, not in any area of our life. If you can't take correction, you are working on receiving offense. You have found the trap of offense and you're walking in it, and you may not even know it yet. And we don't want that to happen. In Ezra chapter 9, let's look here at this story. We're going to begin in verse 1. Are you there? It says this. After these things had been done, the leaders came to me. The people of Israel, including the priests and the Levites. They have not kept themselves separate from the neighboring peoples. With their detestable practices, like those of the Canaanites, Hittites, Parasites, Jebusites, Ammonites, Moabites, Egyptians, and Amorites. They have taken some of their daughters as wives for themselves and their sons. And have mingled the holy race with the peoples around them. And the leaders and officials have led the way in this unfaithfulness. The, the phrase mingled the holy race caught my attention today. And just some kind of, it, it gripped my soul today. When we disqualify the messages and messengers. When we hate correction in the practical exercises of our life we are on a crash course to become mingled with those around us. If the Lord, in fact, in Hebrews 12, disciplines us as sons, what happens when we continue to reject his correction? We are acting as those who are not sons. Verse 3. When I heard this, I tore my my, my tunic and cloak... Yeah, tunic and cloak. Pulled hair from my head and beard and sat down appalled. Then everyone who trembled at the words of the God of Israel gathered around me. Maybe the people who trembled at the word of God were the ones who actually loved correction. Who had been hammered enough by his correction that they actually trembled before him. They gathered around me because of the unfaithfulness of the exiles. And I sat there appalled until the evening sacrifice. Hold your place here. Um, Can we put on the screen Isaiah 66 verse 1? This is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house you will build for me? Where will my resting place be? has not my hand made all these things? And so they came into being, declares the Lord. These are the ones I look on with favor. Everybody say, look on with favor. favor. What is it like for a husband to look on with favor upon his wife? Have you ever seen a wife... Look upon with favor towards her husband. I mean, just really like, you're not even sure if it's real because there's so much affection, admiration there. What we are doing as a church right now, learning how to love correction, having a marriage and spiritual reproduction series. You know what it's trying to do, men? Trying to let you stand up in the right kind of way that your wife may look at you with favor. Those longing gazes that that are, you feel like have always been meant for someone else. The Lord is correcting us as a church and enabling us for that to be what goes on here in this place. And every family. Not just a select few. These are the ones that the Lord looks on with favor. Those who are humble and contrite in spirit. Before we go on to the rest of that. Humble and contrite in spirit. You know what it probably means? They're really good at taking correction. What fights us from taking correction well is our pride. Remember? Against all, against all evidence to the contrary, I'm completely fine right now. Those who are humble. Wow. If the Lord is trying to correct me and it feels like a hammer, why would I want to get hammered multiple times? Why would he have to strike me down over and over and over and over again? If it's this painful, how about I learn from it now? Perhaps I should just humble myself. Instead of disqualifying someone else for telling it to me. Those who are humble and broken in their spirit, they're contrite, they're lowly, they're meek. Lord, please, I need you. I have seen my own wickedness and I don't want to go there. I don't want to walk around acting as if I'm strong in and of myself. My strength comes from you. My confidence comes from you. My competence comes from you. But it's got to be from you. I don't want to be so foolish to have begun in the spirit and now trying to complete it with my own flesh. Galatians 3.3 3. I don't want to do that. And I am prone to doing it. You know the people who best conquer their past and sexual sins? are the ones who know that they're weak. They don't walk around in strength being like, I got this, I can watch this, don't worry, I'm strong enough to handle it. You know the men who do this the best? They run away from perversion. They literally flee. They do whatever it takes. They throw away smartphones and get dumb phones. They put blocks on TVs and on computers and only their wives know the password. The men who do the best understand that the strength is from the Lord, not in themselves. They are humble and contrite, and the Lord brings them victory. What do you need victory in today? The Lord looks on favor. On with favor those who are humble and contrite. Oh my, and those who tremble at His Word. God, what does it mean to tremble at His Word? It means that we are so moved. It means that our fear of the Lord is great. Lord, no matter what I think, I must follow your word. I don't understand this. This doesn't feel right to me, but I clearly see it in your word, and I must do what your word says. I'll learn how to love it later, but I'm going to do it right right now because you're telling me to do it right, and I have no other option. I will tremble at your word. Let's go back to Ezra. Verse 5. Then at the evening sacrifice, I rose from my self-abasement with my tunic and cloak torn and fell on my knees with my hands spread out to the Lord my God and prayed. Do you guys see this? At the evening sacrifice, he rose from his self-abasement. Yeah, see, that's part of the problem, isn't it? None of us want to be self-abased. It's really difficult for us to be humble and contrite. It's difficult for us to say, even though the word of the Lord says, to humble yourselves before the Lord under his mighty hand. We don't want to make ourselves low. We don't want to show each other our weaknesses. We only want to show our strengths. I can only get up here if I show you my strengths. That's a wicked thought. He rose from his self-abasement with his tunic and cloak still torn. Remember, I said it wrong to begin with. That point when he was tearing his clothes, the symbol of of what people would look at him as, he was debasing himself in a godly kind of way. You know what he didn't do? He didn't tear it as an act and then go put on some new clothes. How many of us don't mind tearing ourselves down here at the altar immediately then we begin to repair what we had done? Immediately we go back to make sure that we're covered up and we're looking good. I'm a tear. Oh, I can't believe this. It's pierced me. Thank you, Lord. I better better look right before I go back out the door now. I better pretend like everything's okay now because the Lord spoke to me two minutes ago. And fell on my knees with my hands spread out to the Lord my God and prayed, Oh my God, I am too ashamed and disgraced to lift up my face to you. My God, because our sins are higher than our heads and our guilt has reached to the heavens. I want us to love correction here at this church. It's important to me that I love correction, that my family loves correction. If I think I love correction and I don't train my family to do so, then how much do I really love correction? Our sins are higher than our heads. Lord, Lord, we've made so many mistakes in these areas that if we tried to stack them up, they're higher than our heads. All the while quoting Psalm 141.5. From the days of our forefathers until now, our guilt has been great because of our sins. We and our kings and our priests have been subjected to the sword and captivity, to pillage and humiliation at the hand of foreign kings as it is today. Man, we know that we have many things to fix, don't we? And because the Lord loves us, he's going to help us to correct them. We forget about our mistakes that have piled higher than our heads. And if you don't think you have mistakes, that are piled higher than your head. You're probably not even aware enough of what you're doing to notice. We forget when we are being pillaged by our mistakes, our sins, our weights, anxieties, problems, the angst in our life. We forget about the humiliation of our failures, our fears, and our faithlessness. Come on, let's open our eyes. Let's invite that. Those blind spots that you have. Those things that you have let your pride blind you to. Those things that you can't even see about yourself. Let the Lord correct us tonight. Verse 8. But for a brief moment, the Lord our God has been gracious in leaving us a remnant. (laughs) Come on now. Are you like me? We get, the Lord begins to correct us. And we cry out to him and he helps us. And we start feeling just a little relief in our life. Just a little bit. And we immediately think that no more correction is needed. Got that. Woo! The pressure's off. Thank you, Lord. You've helped me. I've now conquered my lack of love for correction. Wow, that took you four and a half minutes. That's fantastic. I'm better now. I've conquered that. Don't worry. No need to look back over here. We're just fine. What does that do? That leads us back to a meritless self-sufficiency that got us in trouble in the first place. Somebody say meritless. Meritless. Self-sufficiency. Let's look at Ezra 9.13. What has happened to us is a result of our evil deeds and our great guilt. And yet our God... You have punished us less than our sins deserved. Come on, we serve a great God. He's so merciful to us. We can't take that grace and mercy as a license to stay where we are, uncorrected and uncorrectable. Man, these scriptures are helping us to cry out tonight. They're helping us to cry out tonight. They're crying out for us. They're teaching us how to do it. Um, On the screen, would you put Psalm 36, 2? This is a verse that's been one one of the verses that's been floating around in my heart as well. In their own eyes, they flatter themselves too much to detect or to hate their sin. Come on now. Sins, our mistakes, our flaws, our weaknesses. He already sees them all. He already sees them, and we know that he sees them, but we pretend like he doesn't. And we never want those around us to see them as well. The worst thing that we can do is constantly be flattering ourselves. We will miss the sin that God is trying to correct us from. <laughs> I was talking to Pastor Eric earlier. We were talking about the idea that in our modern courts of law, what is it? We are innocent until proven. Yeah. I, I'm, I appreciate that from a, from a court of law. In the kingdom, for those who are trying to mature, it's a better process for us to think about it this way, that in the kingdom of God, we're guilty until we're washed by his blood, until we're made innocent by his great mercy. I would much rather engage with someone in correction. Lord, thank you for showing me something. I must not even be able to see this. I flattered myself so much, I can't even detect the sin that someone is now bringing before me. Lord, would you help me? I presume that I'm guilty and I am in need of correction. Lord, I presume that this is from your hand and I will not refuse it. Help me to get all that is involved in this, Lord. Don't let me miss one part of this correction. If it's going to hurt, I want to make it count. I want to offer this to you, this pain that I'm going through. I want it to be worth something to you. I want it to be the proof of my love. The proof that I understand that is your kindness towards me. Lord, I don't want to despise what you're doing in my life. (laughs) In Matthew 6, turn with me to Matthew 6. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9. We're not innocent until proven guilty in the kingdom. This entire world started in darkness and has to move to light. The whole, the whole, Our whole story, Genesis 1, starts off in darkness and moves to light. The Lord gives us commands that we must kibosh things to put them in order. What do you think kibosh is? If it's not correcting the brokenness of our world. How do we correct the brokenness of our world? We let the Lord correct us that we might rightly do it in others. Look in Matthew 6. This is the Lord's prayer. Verse 9. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven... Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, forgive us their debts. Where do we have to start, folks? We have to start with us. Not just in selected cases, not just on selected days, not just when the piano's playing and you feel moved by the spirit. On every single day, we have to start with us and our debts. Then we have to forgive the debtors. So much of our lives would look differently if we presumed that we had sinned and needed to repent, needed to turn from our wickedness and grab hold of the righteous acts that he had before us. God God is so good to us. Come on, somebody say, God is good. He's so good to us because He loves us. He's correcting us. He's helping us. He's building our marriages. He's raising up men to be actual, real men. Lion killers. Loving husbands and tender fathers. He's helping our women to have gentle and quiet spirits. To be the very daughters of Sarah. Finding a true beauty that surpasses time and fashion. A true beauty. Don't we want more of that? I want more of it for more of us in here. Come on, did did you get that? I want more of it for more of us. It's not good enough to me that we leave people behind. But we're moving forward. It's not our desire that anyone be left behind. So you need to come up to what we're doing. You need to recognize what the Lord is doing. If you don't like what's been said from the pulpit, get your heart right and find out what the Lord is saying to you. You getting upset with what's being said behind the pulpit? Good. It's correction from the Lord. If you want to disqualify it, understand that that's exactly what you're doing. You're disqualifying the message or the messenger or both. Oh, pastor, we're not doing that. We just, we just don't agree with everything you do. Okay. Keep, dis, keep despising the correction of the Lord and see where you end up. This church is moving forward. We're building things as a church. We're going to go to the one association in a few weeks and you're going to be a part of 10 separate churches that have been birthed through this work and through what the Lord is doing. How many churches have you birthed? How many works have you grown? The Lord has us here for a reason. He's helping us. He's letting us all be a part of what's going on. But being a part of what's going on does not mean you're sitting in the the audience. It means you're following exactly what the Lord is teaching us. It means that you're jumping in wholeheartedly and going after this thing. Saying, Lord, I might have been wicked before, but I'm going to be righteous because of what you're doing in my life. I want you to correct me. I need to get better, Lord. I don't want to rest on my laurels. I don't want to relax because the pressure of my miserable life before is off just enough that I feel like I can return to my meritless self-sufficiency. Lord, I want to do this the way that you're teaching me. Every bit of it, Lord. Every word of it. Every jot. Every tittle. Every small part of this, Lord. I want to do this in you. Help me to do it, Lord. Help me to do this. When we begin to do that, turn with me to Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3. Let's look at verse 16. It says this Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. How do we honor the name of the Lord? We obey him. We love him. We're fearing him and doing. We're trembling at his word. They will be mine, says the Lord Almighty. In the day when I make up my treasured possession, I will spare them. Just as in compassion a man spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked. Between those who serve God and those who do not. The answer to us being mingled, having a mingled holy race is for us to walk in such righteousness. To walk in such correction and fear of the Lord that the Lord will help us to see and let us be the ones that are demonstrating a distinction between the righteous and between the wicked. And isn't that our problem today? There's so many that you can't quite tell. Anybody ever walked up to someone and you're not sure if they're saved? There should be a distinction in our lives one thing for us to walk up to someone else, but I wonder how many people have walked up to us and not known. I want to have a distinction in my walk. Turn with me to John 18 as we get ready to close. John chapter 18. (laughs) I love you guys. I'm sharing from my heart with you tonight. I'm sharing things that I'm learning that the Spirit of God is correcting me about that He is showing me. I really, really, really thought that I loved correction. I really did. Like, not kidding with you. Like, almost that single man kind of, uh, kind of confidence I had. Man, I, I'm good at correction, our Lord. You're, you're proud of me, aren't you? I mean, I'm really, really doing good at this. Hammer. Hammer time. Thank you, Lord. Thank you so much. In John chapter 18 and verse 10, it says this. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. (laughs) You made it in the Bible because you got your ear cut off. Congratulations. We've heard so many times in so many different places. You've heard it preached for years that Peter missed. He was swinging a lop off the man's head and he missed. You guys know better than that. Peter was in an enraged by what was going on, that Christ was about to be captured and taken on the path that would lead him to the cross. See, in the book of Leviticus, it gives the requirements for a priest to be able to come and serve the Lord. He couldn't be deformed or defective in any way physically. Had to have both eyes, both ears. He had had to be right in every way. Peter didn't have to lop off the man's head. By damaging his ear in any way, he was trying to disqualify the man from being the high priest. He was trying to disqualify the man from serving in God's presence. Leviticus clearly spells that out. He didn't need to do anything else. He was just trying to disqualify the man. You know what correction is designed to do? It's designed to qualify us so that our brokenness, the parts in our life where we are maimed, broken, destroyed, less than whole. How do you give correction when you give correction? Are you trying to qualify someone? Are you trying to help them and build them so that they may not have weaknesses, but they may stand rightly before the Lord? Are you trying to be like Peter and disqualify someone when you give correction? I don't need to take off their head. All I need to do is just mark them enough that they're disqualified. Anybody ever felt disqualified in this place before? Turn with me to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. Let's look at verse 49. It says this. When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords... And one of them (laughs) struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and he healed him. Everything that has been said to you tonight from this pulpit. Everything that the Lord has been speaking to us for weeks and months now. Is to try to take your brokenness. The very thing that's actually trying to disqualify you. And the Lord is trying to qualify you. He is trying to heal you. He is trying to make you whole. He is trying to get where you can enter into His presence. That you might come close to Him. That you may not be put far away. He is trying to qualify you. When you're fighting against correction, you are fighting the very thing that's trying to help you. You are trying to fight against the answer, the solution, the qualifier. Why would we want to do that? He is bringing correction to us, not to disqualify us. And not so that we would disqualify others, but rather that we would be qualified in His presence. I know that one of the things that we've been battling, many of us, some of us had very difficult, we've had difficult days. We're battling our confidence. We're battling what we feel like is competence. And the very things that God is trying to do to fix us. We don't like the sting of feeling like we're wrong, so we push away from it. We don't like the hammer that is brought against our lives, so we try to disqualify the messenger. We don't like feeling like we're not in complete control. Well, guess what, folks? You're not. It, It is a grand delusion if you feel like you're in control of your life. He's in control. Any control that you may feel is probably just an illusion to you. As we get ready to close in our final scripture for the night, let's turn to Second Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 4. It says this. Such confidence as this is ours through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves. But our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant. Hey. Don't let me lose you right here at the end. Don't let me lose you, okay? It says this. I'm going to read it again because I felt like I lost some of you there. So we're going to come back together and we're going to finish strong. Such confidence as this is ours through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves. <laughs> we know we need his correction. But our competence comes from God. He has made us. Somebody say made us. us. He's not just helping us. He's not just encouraging us. He is making us competent as ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the spirit for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Would you stand with me tonight as we get ready to respond? As we get ready to respond tonight, I want you to love correction because I want to love correction. I don't really think I even need to ask in here if you have ever been guilty of trying to disqualify a message or a messenger of correction. What I want you to do is to let the word of God pierce your heart, so that you will no longer do that moving forward. So that we can allow Him to make us competent as ministers. Well, Pastor, I, I, I'm not a five. He wants to make you competent as a minister of His gospel. He wants to make you competent. Do not fight against what the Lord is doing in you. Do not despise the correction of the Almighty. Stop disqualifying the very message and messenger who are bringing you correction. It's for your good. It will save your life. As we begin to pray, I'm going to pray for you. We're going to worship together. Would you repent of disqualifying his correction in your life? Would you allow him to wash over you tonight by the power of his Holy Spirit? That you might understand, that you might know that his hammer is his kindness. That his rebuking and judging of you is so that he can anoint you with oil. Let's stop refusing the oil of God's correction. Mighty God, we come before you tonight, Lord, with hearts that are crying out for you to help us. With hearts, Lord, that are moved by compassion. Lord, we need your loving kindness to be at work in us. Help us tonight, Lord. Help us tonight, Lord, that we might love correction. That we might get every ounce of oil that you're pouring onto us. That we may not refuse, not even one little bit, Lord. Help us in Jesus' name.